Well, if you'd please turn your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to move forward a little bit in Acts. We haven't finished chapter 5 yet, but we're going to move to chapter 6. We're going to be looking at chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And that's found on page 914 in the Pew Bible. And we're skipping ahead this half of a chapter, really, because we're doing an ordination service today. And it just so happens in God's sovereignty, the book of Acts in chapter 6 tells us about the office of deacon. But don't worry, we're going to come back after Christmas. We'll come back to where we left off in in chapter 5. So let me just give a little bit of context of where we are. It's really the same thing we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks. The early church had been given power, a power to be Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the church is growing. It is growing exponentially. It's gone from just 120 believers at, at Christ's ascension to several thousand and this could be only a matter of a few days, a few weeks. And not only were their numbers increasing, but the apostles were giving these miraculous signs. They were able to heal. They were able to speak in tongues. And this authenticated the gospel message. And they were given boldness, boldness to proclaim Christ, boldness to proclaim the, the need for repentance, even to those in power, even for those who had the power to hurt them. And they experienced a sweet fellowship a spirit-filled worship, a supernatural generosity was provided to these members to, to provide for each other and their needs. And remember, this generosity was managed by the apostles. See, the, those people who sold their lands, they didn't give the money directly to those in need, but rather they laid it at the apostles' feet. And the apostles then, led by the Holy Spirit, distributed this money. Now, as you can imagine, this is okay when you only have 120 people. When the church grows to multiple thousands, that this task would quickly overwhelm the apostles. And this is the situation we're looking at today, and this is where we see the, the office of deacon coming out of. So Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Lord, would you thank you for this example of the early church? And Father, I pray now as I, as I preach this ordination sermon, Lord, I pray for your spirit to be with me. But I pray particularly for Travis and John. Lord, I pray for your spirit to be upon them as they prepare for this very difficult and very important task, very noble task of being leaders in your church. Lord, I pray that you will be pleased, you will be glorified. pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, later in the service, we will install... Travis Campbell to once again serve on the session here at Northgate Presbyterian Church, and we will ordain and install 
John Jeffries to serve as a deacon. And these men, they were nominated by you in the congregation. They were trained and they were examined by the session. And last Sunday, they were elected in our congregational meeting. And it's important for us to understand exactly what this means. It's important for us to understand what these men will be doing. What is the biblical description of these two offices? What can we expect from them? And how can we, as members of Northgate, how can we support them? How can we honor them? How can we submit to them in their respective offices? Well, this passage that we're looking at this morning, this gives us a good description of both of these offices. It gives us a division of labor between these two offices. See, both offices, the elder and the deacon, they are both servants of Christ. Both offices are gifts to the church to help the church to achieve our mandate from Jesus, which we read in Acts 1.8, is to be his witnesses in our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and to our ends of the earth. So let's start off looking at what was the problem that this new church had. What gave rise to this need for deacons in addition to elders? And the elders here, the elders are the successors to the apostles in leadership of the church. The elder and, and, and apostle are not synonymous, but in their leading role, the elders are what we see here in the role of the apostles. So let's take a look at this. What, what was this need for this division of labor between the deacons and the elders? Well, as we've seen, the, the church has been growing. It's been growing extremely rapidly. It had gone from a few hundred members to thousands in, in just a few days, perhaps a few weeks. And one of the beautiful realities of this infant church was the supernatural love and the generosity that was shown among the members. Acts 4, 34-35 tells us, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So the church here was taking care of one another. They were making sure that everyone had what was needed. And it was the job of the apostles to distribute these resources to the needy. So the apostles, not only were they proclaiming the word of God, not only were they witnessing about Jesus, not only were they teaching, not only were they praying, but they were also distributing these goods to make sure that everyone was taken care of. And now you can see that the magnitude of this responsibility, how it would quickly overwhelm these 12 men. So in verse 1 of, of Acts 6, we see that there's a complaint here from the Hellenists. That is, these are the Greek-speaking Jews against the Hebrew-speaking Jews that their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And what we see here is really the first sign of discontent in this early church. Prior to this, everything was rosy. Everything was going great. The church was marked only by a supernatural peace, a supernatural joy, a radical generosity. And we need to understand that this, this score that we see here, it's different than what we saw at the beginning of chapter 5 with this swift judgment on Ananias and Sapphira. See, Ananias and Sapphira, remember, they lied to the Holy Spirit. They put God to the test. Their actions displayed a sinful unbelief in their hearts. But that's not the case here at all. The neglect of these widows, this was not intentional, this was not sinful. Rather, it was an administrative failure on the part of the apostles, really due to them being spread too thin. The church had grown so numerous that the task of distributing these funds was really too great for the apostles to do, in addition to their other responsibilities. And the neglect of the Hellenists, this was not an intentional slight. 
there was just a, there was cultural and, and language barriers. See, the, the Hellenists, these were Jews from the dispersion who didn't return to Palestine, but they lived in other areas of the empire. And the Hebrews, those were the locals. These were the people who were like the apostles, the ones the apostles knew. They would have known their needs, but the Hellenists they would have been unaware of. So because of this rapid growth and the new people joined the church every day, it was very difficult for all the widows really to be taken care of, for their, their needs to be known by the, uh, by the apostles in the distribution. And you can see how this would quickly begin really to overwhelm uh, this church and, and overwhelm these leaders. And, and it can cause division, it could cause strife, it could cause uh, uh, factions within the church. It needed to be dealt with quickly. And the Holy Spirit here leads the apostles to a solution to this problem. See, in verse, four, in verse 2, they gather the entire church together. They have a congregational meeting like we had last week. But instead of having 30 people here like we had last week, they probably had 5,000 in this congregation. And the apostles say, say, it's not right. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, we have to explain this a little bit. It sounds kind of like an arrogant statement. But what we're seeing here is that the division of labor between the apostles or the elders and the deacons, which will be established shortly. See, the elders are saying that they are to focus, focus on the spiritual needs of the church. That is the preaching and the prayer. Where the deacons, they are to focus on the physical needs, which is represented by serving tables. See, both of them are important. Both of them must be done. But both of them cannot be done by the same group. So we see this division of labor. Now, the apostles are, are not saying that, that the task of mercy, the task of service is beneath them. No, not at all. That, that, they're not saying that they're too good for this. They're not dismissing serving tables as a, as a menial task beneath their dignity. Just as I read to the, to the children, Jesus himself washed feet. A servant is not above his master. Leaders are called to do whatever is necessary. Now, serving tables here is, is not simply setting up a potluck or, or washing the dishes. It actually represents all the physical service required by the church. It could be feeding. It could be clothing. It could be repairing. It could be basically taking care of all the physical needs of the church. That's what's wrapped up in this waiting tables or serving tables. But there's also more to it as well. There's also a financial aspect to it. See, bankers and money changers, they sat at tables. And the deacons here, they are responsible for distributing the money. So the money was given to the apostles. Now it's going to be given to the, to the deacons. And it's going to be distributed to those in need. So what we're seeing here is these deacons are the financial stewards of the church. And you can see this is not an unskilled position. This is not just something that anyone can do. This is an important task, and this is a high calling. But the apostles here, they're wise. They understand that as important as this service is, that this is not their primary purpose. It's not the primary purpose of the church. And this is not the primary calling of the apostles. See, the primary purpose of the church is spiritual. The primary purpose of the church is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the proclamation of the message, the only message of reconciliation between sinful man and a holy God. So their purpose is to be ambassadors for Christ. Verse 4, it says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And here you see this primary difference between these two officers that we're installing today at Northgate. See, Travis, as a ruling elder, 
He will primarily devote himself to the ministry of the word, to teaching and preaching. This morning, he taught Sunday school. This evening, he will be preaching for us. And he will regularly be praying for the needs of the sheep under his care in this church. That is the role of the elder. But John is a deacon. What John will be, he will be the hands and feet of Christ to our congregation. He will be the man, as he is right there, guarding the door. He's heading our security team. He is physically protecting us from danger. He's the man who comes out with the umbrella when it's raining out there to make sure you don't get wet. He's the one who serves you. He's the one who's going to administer the church's mercy ministry to the members and to the community. Now, this certainly doesn't mean that John is not going to be praying for us. He just prayed earlier in the service. And it doesn't mean that Travis is not going to be involved in physical care. In fact, Travis actually offered to serve under John on the security team and help out and watch the door. Deacons regularly pray during the office. So it's, it's not saying that, that they don't do these things, but there is a divisional labor. There's a primary difference. And God in his wisdom has ordained both of these offices, both of these for different call purposes and with different roles, all for the good of the church, all for his glory. Now, it would have really been easy, I think, for the apostles at this point to, to fall into a trap, to fall into the trap of neglecting the spiritual duty in order to fulfill this physical duty. And it's a trap that many elders, many pastors fall into. Because many times you see an immediate result when you take care of a physical need. If a tree is down, you go out and you cut up the tree, you can see an immediate need. If you, if you, if you fix something, there's an immediate need. I mean, think about it. It, it, brings, it brings a satisfaction, doesn't it? Fixing something. Or, or, or giving food to a hunger. If someone comes here and needs help and we give food to them, there's an immediate satisfaction. But think about praying. Praying, especially you know, as elders, we're, we're praying alone. We're praying for you. People don't see the prayers. And oftentimes, it, it could be years you're praying before you see an answer to that prayer. Or what about teaching? Teaching is a, is a long process thing as we're going through teaching. But, but, but fixing something, you see an immediate, there's, a, there's an immediate endorphin rush that you can see if, if, you're, if you're taking care of something. So it's, it's real easy for us as, as elders to fall into this trap. To, to, to take care of the physical, which is often the more urgent, not the more important, but the more urgent need in the church. And this is a temptation every elder, every pastor will have to want to, to, to migrate, to do the physical, to do the deacon work. And it's very easy, and it's tempting for church leaders and, and to, to focus solely on the physical, doing the things that can be seen, doing the things that can be measured taking care of the poor, helping people. These are all good stuff. These are important things. These are things the church should be doing. But if you do these things while neglecting prayer, neglecting the ministry of the word, those are the things that are essential. Those are the things that only the church can do. There are other groups that can help the poor, that can do things. But the only thing that's going to have an eternal impact is the gospel, is prayer. Now, conversely, conversely, the opposite extreme is also dangerous. The apostles could have completely dismissed the physical needs. They could have said, oh, we're only concerned with the things of heaven. We have no concern with the temporal needs. They could have always been focusing on the spiritual, always studying but never applying, always praying but never acting. See, my friends, effective gospel ministry requires both, requires both. And this shows us the biblical wisdom of the two offices of elder and deacon. Let's now take a look at the, at the qualifications for elders and deacons. Right? You would think that if the primary responsibility of the elder is spiritual and the primary responsibility of deacon is physical or financial, 
that the qualifications of the elder would be spiritual and the qualifications of the deacon would be physical or financial. And that's exactly how many churches select their elders and deacons. They look for the theology nerd. They look for the guy who reads a lot of books and they make him an elder. Likewise, they look to to the guy who's handy, who's good with tools, maybe a contractor or someone who's good with money, an accountant or a businessman, and they make him a deacon. But this is not... This is not the qualifications that Scripture gives for either office. In the New Testament reading that Nathan read for us this morning from 1 Timothy, we hear the qualifications for both the elder and the deacon. And you may have noticed when he was reading that these qualifications are nearly identical. And nowhere, nowhere does it mention the number of books read or the degrees required for, for an elder or the ability to fix toilets or, or cut grass or to use spreadsheets for a deacon. No, the qualifications really have very little to do with the, with the gifting and the abilities, but they have all to do with character. All to do with character. And even looking in verse 3 of our Acts passage, qualifications for the deacon, it says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. There's no mention that they have to be handy. There's no mention that they have to be able to fix toilets or cut grass or paint walls. And the qualifications for a deacon, just like the qualifications of an elder, are not based on a physical or vocational skills, but are based solely on spiritual character. The deacon and the elder, they must be men filled with the Holy Spirit. And not simply believers. And sadly, sadly, there are many churches that officers are not even Christians. I've been in churches where the officers are not even believers. But not only that, not not that he just must be a believer. He must be a mature Christian, a mature believer, filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, a man who walks by faith, not by sight. He must possess godly wisdom. He must have a good reputation. He must not have addictions. He must not be greedy or dishonest or a liar. He must manage his own household well. He must hold the mysteries of faith with a clear conscience, which means he must know the faith. He must know the theology. My friends, this takes time. This takes observation. As a congregation, we are not hasty in ordaining a man to be a deacon or an elder. And it may surprise you that the the character qualifications for elders and deacons are nearly identical. Really, the only major difference is the elder must be able to teach where that's not a requirement for the deacon. And because these, these requirements are nearly identi- identical, it shouldn't surprise you that many men serve both. Men like Jack and, 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 and Mike Wright served as both deacons and elders at this church. And even the men selected as the first deacons that we see here in this passage, two of them, the only two of them we know anything about, Philip and Stephen, both of these men were gifted teachers and gifted evangelists. In chapter 7, it records Stephen's speech, which is really a sermon. And this man, when we go through this in a couple of weeks, this man knew his scripture. He was a powerful preacher. He could have easily been a pastor or an elder, but he was a deacon. Same is true of Philip. We're told in chapter 8 that Philip was evangelizing and teaching the Ethiopian eunuch. Again, this man could have been a pastor. Now, the process to be an officer in this church, this is not an easy process. In some churches, in some churches, all you need is a pulse. And sometimes that's even optional in some of these churches. I, I heard even one church, they said, let's make him an elder. Maybe he'll come to church if we, if we make him an elder. 
That is not what we do here. That is not how it is here. See, both of these men, they had to be nominated, nominated by the congregation. And then the session then met with them and evaluated them based on the, the biblical standards. First Timothy, Titus for the elder, Acts 6 for the deacon. And seeing if they meet these character requirements, that's the, that's the, that's the first step. But just meeting these character requirements, this was not enough. In fact, if you look at these scriptural qualifications for leadership, for elder or deacon, it's really just being a mature Christian. Really, these qualifications should apply to every one of us in here. Men, women, children, we should, we should aspire to be what that describes, have our character meet what it describes. These qualifications are simply a mature Christian. But what we need to do beyond that is we really need to discern are these men called? Are these men called by God? See, God is the one who selects the leaders, not the congregation, not the session. It is God. So as a session, we work, and as individual candidates, we pray, which is God calling this man to this office at this time in this church. And that's what we've done, and we've met with them. And both the men and the session felt that God was calling them at this time. And then after this, the process is different for John, it was, was different for John and Travis. And it's not because they were nominated for different roles. It's because Travis has been already ordained. Travis is already a ruling elder. Travis has already been trained when he first came on session. But John has not been ordained, so John needed to go through officer training. And for several months, John was trained. Now, you might be thinking, all right, this is where he learns how to fix things, right? And this is where he learns how to cut the grass and how to fix the toilets and, and work on spreadsheets and do all this deacon stuff. No, not at all. What did John study? He studied theology. He studied the Bible. He studied church history. He studied the sacraments. He studied how to think biblically, how to have a Christian worldview, how to approach problems from a Christian worldview. He studied the Westminster Confession of Faith. He studied the catechisms. He learned about different denominations and how they're similar and how they're different to the PCA. John studied the distinctive of Reformed theology. He studied the five points of Calvinism. And then, then there was the test where we, he went through various case studies. How would you handle this situation? What scripture would you apply in this situation? How would you answer a certain question? What section of the catechism would you apply? And after all this training, John was given this 15-page exam, written exam, on all the things he studied. And he spent several hours on this exam. He said to me after he took it, he said it was like taking the bar exam when he was a lawyer. That's what he felt like. And even after taking the exam, he still wasn't done. That was just a written exam. Then there was an oral exam afterwards. The exam was given by the session, and we reviewed the questions, and then he was grilled. We spent here a couple hours on an evening going through his questions and asking his questions, and, 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 and you know, some of our pointed questions. And then once he passed that, then he was just approved by the session to be elected. And then last Sunday, both John and Travis were unanimously elected to their respective offices by you as a congregation in a congregational meeting. And in the case of John, all this work that he went through to be ordained a deacon, now he is qualified to take out the trash. Now he is qualified to fix the toilet bowls for you. That's what, that's what the office is. But it's not about the actual work. It's not about fixing things. It's not about helping widows. And even in the case of, of an elder, it's not even about accurate teaching, as important as that is. It's about being a man of God. It's about being a tested, trained, proven man of God. And this is the requirement for the deacon. This is the requirement for the elder. 
Even though they have different roles, different functions, a division of labor in the church, both of these men must know God intimately. They must love God. They must love his word. They must trust him. They must rely on God in all circumstances. Because if they don't, if they are not men of God, no matter how talented Travis may be, no matter how talented John may be, and these men are, they are extremely talented and naturally gifted. But if they're not men of God, all that talent means nothing. If they're not men of God, they will fail as officers in Christ's church. Because this is a spiritual office. Both elder and deacon are a spiritual office. And they cannot be done. They cannot be done in the power of the flesh. They can only be done, only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the truth. And I've warned every man who I've trained to be an officer in the truth in, in, in this church or in any church. Every man that I've trained, when you become an officer in Christ's church or a relative of an officer or a wife of an officer, you, my friend, now have a big bullseye on your back. The devil hates you. The devil wants to bring you down. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your ministry. He wants to destroy your witness. And if you come into this office relying on your natural abilities, you will be toast. No matter how smart, no matter how much trained you are, you will be toast. The devil will eat you for lunch. But if you rely on the Holy Spirit, if you rely on prayer, if you rely on the Word of God, you will be more than conquerors through Christ. But even relying on Christ, this doesn't mean that being an officer in Christ's church will be easy. It, it will not be easy. We've already seen in, in the Scripture the persecutions experienced by Peter and John and the other apostles preaching about Jesus. And don't think that the, the persecution is limited only to elders, to, to those who, who preach. Just look at the very next section in, in Acts chapter 7. Look at what happens to one of the first deacons, Stephen. Stephen was stoned to death for his testimony about Christ. Stephen is the, first, the church's first martyr. And the church, it, it's interesting, you think about it, the church's first martyr is not an apostle, it's not an elder, it's not a teacher, it's not a pastor, it is a deacon. And this is a fact that was not lost on John while we were doing the training. Here's a man who had multiple deployments in, in Iraq and Afghanistan, and now he thinks he's coming to a safe calling. No, not at all. And because of this spiritual opposition, we need to be regularly and fervently praying for our deacons, praying for our elders. Don't think it's only the elders who are on the front line of spiritual warfare. And that the deacons are safe because they're only handing out bulletins and holding an umbrella for you and opening the door and cleaning up after Pollock. Not at all. So why does the devil seek so earnestly to destroy the deacon? Right? We can understand why he goes after the missionary. That person is bringing the gospel to a to a foreign land and rescuing sinners from from Satan's clutches or pastors or or elders or teaching who are teaching and preaching the gospel. We can understand that. But why go after the guy who's fixing the toilets and cutting the grass and feeding the widows? Because the devil knows. The devil knows what, what God can do, do through the deacons. What God can do through the mercy ministry of his church. Look at the last verse of our passage, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests came, became obedient to the faith. 
See, the direct results of the work of the deacons, of the church's mercy ministry, is God, God's word goes out. God's word goes out. The number of disciples increases. Many are converted. The work of the deacons is, is, is complementary to the work of the elders. They need each other. And because of the deacons, the church grows. Because of the elders, the church grows. Because of both, the kingdom increases. Because of both, souls are saved and God is glorified. You see, all, all the physical service done by the deacons, this is good, helpful things. These are blessings in and of themselves. All of these works, they serve as a catalyst, a catalyst for the proclamation of the gospel. What they do is they earn the church the right to be heard by the unbelieving world. They give the church credibility with the world. See, our works of kindness, they validate our message of hope that we give to them. And when the church sees the, the supernatural kindness, the supernatural generosity, the love, they then become more receptive to the supernatural source of this kindness, which is the gospel of grace. So a strong diaconate, just like a strong session, is essential for a strong church, essential for the effective proclamation of the gospel. And while these men that we're ordaining today and are stalling today, while they're leaders in the church ministry, the work itself does not belong to them alone. It belongs to all of us. It belongs to all of us. All Christians are called to be part of the ministry of the diaconate. All Christians are called to be part of the ministry of the session, the ministry of mercy, the ministry of prayer, the ministry of service, the ministry of the proclamation of the gospel. See, not one of us here, not one born-again believer is exempt from this work. And just like for the elders and the deacons, we all must be equipped to serve by knowing our Bible, by knowing theology, by having a biblical worldview, by spending time in prayer, by, by spending time in fellowship, and most importantly, by stepping out in faith, by being uncomfortable, using our spiritual gifts in the service of others, all for God's glory. So my friends, as we prepare to ordain these two men, install these two men to serve here as officers at Northgate Presbyterian Church, I exhort each one of you, to support these men in their respective callings, to serve alongside them, following their example and their leadership, to pray for them, and to pray God's word will continue to increase. Pray that the number of disciples will, will greatly increase here in Albany, and that many, many will be saved through our ministry here at Northgate. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for these men that we are ordaining. Lord, I pray that you will be with them, that your spirit will, will speak to them. Lord, that you will prepare them for the ministry that you have given to them. And above all, you will be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.